You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Chris Button in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. It's these summertime days when Fitz is either on vacay or they put him on another show that I get to meet all sorts of people from around the company. Chris, we've never worked together. Give everybody, I know you did the show last night when I was out, but give everybody a... uh, two-sentence summary of your entire life and everything they need to know about you. Uh, yeah, I have a mom and two kids, married, I cover college football, college basketball, college baseball, do radio, and uh, this might be my favorite show because the intro music's better than any other show on ESPN Radio. <laughs> it is, it is. It, it's fire and it gets you going. <laughs> uh, we have a lot to get to today because we've got some news coming out about Deshaun Watson. Uh, We are very much going to address all of the concerns coming out of Patriots camp ahead of their preseason opener and more. So let's start with Deshaun Watson. Obviously, we're waiting news from the NFL on the appeal. The designee that Roger Goodell selected will ultimately be bringing down the appeal, uh, the new new results uh, of whatever punishment Watson will face. And as we await that, the Browns have announced that they expect Deshaun Watson to start Friday night's preseason opener against the Jaguars. Just before boarding their flight to Jacksonville today, they dropped that bit of news. And Chris, you and I both thought the same thing. And so did Amy Trask, the uh, the Prince of Darkness, uh, Princess of Darkness, who said uh, she expects as well. We will now be getting the results on the appeal sooner rather than later because the NFL wants to do its best to keep Watson off the field all year, whether that's preseason or regular. I think we'll know before Friday. I think we will, too. It's interesting they do this before they board a plane. It's, here, we're going to drop this bomb, and now we don't. And we're going to put our phones in airplane mode <laughs> and just, comment. like, jet yes. off. <laughs> yeah, we can't comment. I, I don't think it's shocking that he was going to. The guy hasn't played in over a year, and the six-game suspension allows him to be able to play in the preseason. So if you're Kevin Stefanski, I think that's the choice that you make. But I do think given what we heard from Roger Goodell yesterday and the language about predatory, egregious, it is him coming out that strongly and and using those words has me feel like there is no way the NFL is going to let this guy be able to take the field. So Peter C. Harvey might be coming down with the ruling uh, before their first preseason game on Friday. Yeah, you mentioned Goodell, and and in his presser, he made no bones about how he feels about the situation. We've seen the evidence. She was very clear about the evidence. Uh, She reinforced the evidence uh, that there was uh, multiple violations here, and they were egregious, and it was predatory behavior. Those are things that we felt, um, we always felt were really important for us to address in a way that's responsible. Yeah, and I think one of the things that people don't quite uh, understand or aren't putting together is that unlike previous iterations of any sort of punishment per the personal conduct policy for the NFL, um, this is now a three-part procedure. There's the NFL presenting whatever case they have to try to attempt to get a a punishment. There's the NFLPA doing their part, which is sort of required of them to defend an athlete against the allegations or potential further punishment. And then now there's that independent party. In this case, it was Sue L. Robinson. Because it's now three parts, when the NFLPA elected not to appeal her decision, that made the baseline for his suspension the six games that she gave. Now, with the NFL's appeal to this uh, former New Jersey um, attorney general, 
that means that he's sort of the new neutral party. Again, mm -hmm. we think of him as on it, the NFL side because Goodell has appointed him, um, but he sort of is the final final say here. And it does feel like they proved everything they needed to to Sue L. Robinson. She agreed with them on all accounts. Her language was very clear that he engaged in predatory, premeditated behavior, that he sexually assaulted multiple people, and she made it clear she wanted a longer suspension but didn't feel like she could based on precedent that the NFL itself had set and the language that they have in their policy, which, to be fair, has to be changed moving forward if they're going to do that, if they're going to do any of this appealing and, and asking for longer sentences. So it feels like by Friday we'll have the new suspension, and I would absolutely expect it to be a full season plus a massive fine, plus a requirement for some sort of therapy and, and, and training. I think things in two ways. The whole reason this was this in the new CBA that they, they brought about this new way of doing things was so that the teams in the NFL, they weren't the ones that had to come up with the punishment. And then you're, when, Sue, when Sue Robinson does it, it's, well, this punishment is based on previous you know suspensions. But the whole point is that it shouldn't be based on previous suspensions because – those weren't through the same process. So maybe through right. this, Peter C. Harvey, we can write a new legislation of here's what, you know, domestic abuse or sexual violence or here is a standard of conduct and a standard of punishment that when you are found guilty of these things, this is now the minimum. It's not a six game. It is an entire year suspension. Yeah. I would also think if you're the Browns, like, are you ready for this to be over with? I can't imagine the, what the team is dealing with. Like, the, the amount of right. people... Trying to actually said, prep for football. To try and prep, right. and then at some point, there's enough overwhelming evidence that as a teammate, you're, you want to go block for that guy? Like, right. at some point, yeah. I, I just let it be over with. Let us have a judgment. And for Roger Goodell, he could have heard the appeal himself and chose not to, but I'm sure, pretty sure is in Peter's ear being like, we need it now. Like, now right. that the Browns I, I have come out, you. we need it now. And I think they hoped that Sue L. Robinson would be the one to set a precedent so that they could offer up that it wasn't their decision, it was hers. When that didn't happen and she defaulted back to their precedent, they realized, okay, now we have to change this uh, this baseline ourselves moving forward. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Chris Budden in for Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We'll get back to Deshaun Watson and certainly keep you updated if we hear anything on that appeal. But we also have to get to what has been taking over parts of my timeline during the afternoons, which is screaming, fire-breathing, smoke out the ears, freaking out about how the Patriots' offense looks in these training camp practices. We're going to talk to Greg Bedard about it, and he's going to give us his take. But for Mac Jones' case, he believes everything's going to be fine. Just pay attention to how he says everything's going to be fine and see if he convinces you. I think we're close on a lot of things, so it's just that 2% that we need to fix. It takes time and patience, and I think we're making a lot of progress, so it's good. I'm going to figure it out. I always have, and I always will, and um, at the end of the day, you're going to have your ups and downs with anything new, but I've learned a lot of different systems, and the guys around me have too, and we, we know what football looks like. We know what a good play looks like, and the schematics behind it just needs to be more consistent, and uh, we, we all trust in each other at the end of the day. When I walk on the field and there's 10 people that look into my eyes, I know that they're going to trust me to do the right thing on game day. Now, I don't usually overreact about <laughs> camp stuff, nor do I try to read someone's, uh, you know, tone. But it sure sounds like a guy who's like, man, I better put the right foot forward here. But deep down, I'm super worried because this feels awful. It does not feel good. We do not have this down. 
Right, if you say I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out or we are going to have it figured out means you haven't figured it out and that the clock is ticking. I, I still don't quite understand why there isn't an offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. I have interviewed Mac Jones a bunch uh, in my work with college football, and he comes across as one of the most confident, incredibly smart. That is not the tone that I hear from him. And again, I don't want to necessarily analyze it, but when you're sitting there saying, well, I, I know that when the, the eyes of the 10 guys are looking at me, that's great. You also need a guy that's going to be yelling into your helmet what the play is. And I don't care how many systems you learn, like not having a sole person as the offensive coordinator that you can turn to who you trust to call the right play at the right time seems a little strange to me. And it's become like for, for a Bill Belichick team that doesn't like all the media attention, he's basically turned something into like a, what is it? A mountain out of a molehill. Like it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's left the tracks. And now that the, yeah. the I mean, I don't story blame continues him. to grow. I don't blame him because it's every reporter covering yeah. these camps. And now he has to address it and do his best to say it's not that big of a deal. Now he's getting some help because former Patriots quarterback, Matt Castle was on Keyshawn J. Will and Max. And he also said up oh, too early to be freaking out like this. Yeah. You know what? I don't always overreact, especially when it gets to training camp early on. And yes, there are, is a level of concern because there's some moving parts here, right? With Matt, Patricia, Joe judge, who's calling plays, How's it all going to work out? And at the end of the day, though, a lot of times I feel like the defense can be ahead of the offensive unit when you get into these situations, particularly early in camp. But, I mean, it's not—it's really going to be one of those things that they're going to have to figure it out. And it's good that they're taking their lumps now because it'll put pressure on everybody, hold everybody accountable, uh, to a more accountable standard. And then at the end of the day, they just got to work, and we'll really figure out more about this team when we get into some of these games and see, see how this offense is operating. Yeah, I, you know, it's a lot of words to say we'll see, but I do think that he's right in something we often hear, which is that defenses are usually a bit stronger early in camp than the offenses. Uh, but in this case, uh, man, we're going to hear more from Greg Bedard and why all of the regulars who have been covering this team for a long time are freaking out. It's Spain and Fitz, Chris Budden in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up, so many stories, so little time, which means coming up, it's quickies. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you as always. Chris Budden in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. If you like what you're listening to, you can follow her at Chris Budden. Chris with a K. I'm sure you have to say that a million times. I have to say <laughs> yeah. Spain like the country. hundred times a day. Sarah with an H. Spain like the country. Or I say um, button like Joe Button. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I'm sure they expect you to be very similar in all other ways as well. Yeah. Uh, let's get into all of the stories of the day that will take too much time. Got to do them the way we do them around here, which is quickies. Let's start with the results of the live golfers who are trying to fight their way back into the PGA tour. And as somebody astutely noted, or probably several people, it wasn't too long ago that the the folks on the live tour were, were asked about one of the reasons that they felt compelled to make the switch and to make the leap. And most of them avoided discussing any human rights violations or even just being honest and saying money. And many of them, Chris said, more free time, you know, time to be with my family, time to spend with my kids. I can play 
just a couple tournaments and make the same money and not have to work year round flying to each thing. And then shortly after all of that, they filed a lawsuit to try to fly to everything and make it to more tournaments. Well, it didn't work out because a federal judge in California has denied the temporary restraining order to suspend uh, to the three suspended PGA Tour members who signed with Liv and then wanted to be able to play in, in the FedEx Cup playoffs. It was Taylor Gooch, Matt Jones, and Hudson Swafford trying to get to the FedEx St. Jude Championship first leg of the playoffs on Thursday. They will not be allowed, and, and, and Rory, for one, is happy not to have to deal with the sideshow. From my vantage point, common sense prevailed, and I thought it was the right decision. Um, and now that that has happened, I think it just lets us focus on, on the important stuff, which is the golf, and, and we can all move forward and not sort of have, um, not have that sideshow going on for, for the next few weeks, which, which, is, which is nice. Sideshow, Chris. He's yeah, I mean, know ev- how he feels. <laughs> every time you go into a tournament, these players are asked about it, and they chose not to do it. They're with the PGA, and Justin Thomas made a comment about how he went to a wedding, and a fan came up to him in the bathroom and was asking him <laughs> about live golf, and he's like, when am I going to stop a- asking and answering these questions? So it is a sideshow, even when you're trying to enjoy a little, you know, dance at a wedding. Yeah, a little chicken dance, a little... Uh... <laughs> You know, all that good da, da, stuff. Da, 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 yeah, da, da. it's it's funny because starting next year, live members will play in 14 events. Meanwhile, the PGA Tour requires players to play at least 15. So the live <laughs> players would end up in 29 events uh, shortly after saying that they just want to play less golf. Mm, yeah. So it's um, not about I have to figure out how to reconcile that. All right, next story. I know you were on the show last night talking about the incredible announcement from Serena Williams, the Vogue layout, the beautiful photos, the quotes. Mm. I was actually reminded by a great columnist here in Chicago about one of Serena's best quotes, which was basically, to paraphrase, uh, the game that my sister and I changed, not because we were welcomed, but because we just didn't stop winning. And that to me feels like it could be applied to women's sports, Women in sports media, I had advice very early on, just be so good they can't say no to you. Just keep put, you put your head down and work and, and get the results so that they can't keep you out. And that's what it was like for, for Serena and Venus. And as it starts to wrap up, I think the endless tributes will be, you know, very moving, uh, very tough for folks who can't imagine tennis without her. Uh, but some of those folks are making known via ticket sales and ticket prices that they intend to see the finish and and uh, you saw some pretty crazy numbers on that yeah so the u.s open especially a night match is so rowdy and it's not difficult to really get tickets you could buy them for the opening round a night match uh, for 35 dollars until serena made her announcement yesterday and then those tickets then were on the market being resold for $17,000. That's not a final. That's the Monday. You don't even know if she's playing on a Monday or a Tuesday. So you're shelling out 17 k to hopefully see Serena. And I'm sure she will get a ton of night matches because that place is electric. And I think about, like, her not wanting to, like, what the celebration will be like because this is also a very sad thing to her. It's why she's not calling it a retirement because it's not that she wants to say goodbye to the game. It's just that her body can't do it anymore. And so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting, the celebration versus the emotion uh, that we'll see at Flushing Meadows. I was part of the uh, first meeting of our 
new edition this year of the Gatorade Women's Sports Advisory Board yesterday. And one of the questions we were using as an icebreaker to get to know all the new board members was an aspirational sports moment you hope to celebrate in this upcoming year. And a lot of people went more, you know, coverage of women's sports, things like that. And one of the folks in the meeting just says, Serena winning the U.S. Open. Mm. And the whole room was like, yes, that's <laughs> yeah. the one. Like, we just... We already know that she's the greatest, but we want it to be in every single data point and every single statistic. All right, next story. We're going to get into some more Nets talk later in the show, but I thought this was an interesting take from Jay Williams this morning on KJ and Max and exactly what the Nets approach might be to Durant's latest demand. KD is turning 34. So you know what? If we want to really play this game, like, See, if I were Joe Sy, hold on, Key, let me finish. If I were Joe Sy, I would say, you know what? That's cool. Like, maybe it is next year that I finally get the right trade compensation for you. If you want to not play for a full year. Or two. Or two, until I feel like I get the right compensation. If you don't want to come back until you're 36 years old and you waste two years on the back end of your career, then let's play that game of chicken. I mean, it's what Daryl Morey did with the Ben Simmons deal. He said, I'm not going to send you off Mm -hmm. for nothing. I'm going to figure out what I want to get back and when. And Brian Windhorst on NBA Today was talking about this, too, and just basically said, not only did he say, I'm going to keep the guys I want, but I'm going to do right by the team. And in that, I mean, hey, newsflash, all the other teams, I'm not going to trade him because there's nothing out there that I think I'm going to get back that's deserving. So he sent that message. And too many times in the NBA, we allow, uh, they allow players to be able to make their demands. And you don't see it in any other league. It is, I'm happy, so you better figure out a way to get rid of me. And the way that it came across from KD was he was realizing that there's limited places that he's going to end up going. So if he's going to be stuck there, then I want it to be on my terms. And I think it would be great if Josiah said, no, this is the deal you signed four years. Stick it out. Or I feel the same. I'm all for player empowerment, but there is a line there of you cannot manage a team if someone signs a max deal and is is expected to be a part of what you're planning and signing around for years to come, and then they're out right afterwards. Like, you have built everything around the idea that you have him for four more years. And if you need to play chicken with him on, okay, you want to sit? Then you might just have to do that, especially looking at the landscape around the league of teams not having the space and the players to make a good trade. We'll talk more on that later, but coming up, how concerned should Pats fans be with the offense so far? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Chris Budden in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, and my timeline is full of reporters who cover the Patriots telling us the sky is falling as they watch Mac Jones and the offense. So to find out exactly how much Pats fans should be freaking out, we go to the founder and editorial director for bostonsportsjournal.com, Greg Bedard. Greg, thanks so much for the time. Let's just start with, compared to previous seasons, is is it just that much of a drop-off? Is it all of the changes? Is it just Mac Jones? Like, when you compare this to freaking out or concerns that you've had at any other point in covering this team, just how severe is the concern? Uh, it, Sarah, it's, it's, it's very severe. I've never, I've never seen – look, let's not even put it in the context of the Patriots. I've been covering the NFL for 20 years. I've covered the Dolphins back when they were god-awful. Um, Saban, uh, Dave Wonstadt, Cam, the beginning of Cam Cameron – to the Packers, to the Patriots, and the NFL at large. And I've 
I've never seen an NFL offense this bad, this long into camp. I mean, they literally, when, when they're going full speed, 11 on 11, they literally can't block anything. Every, almost every run is blown up. Uh, almost every pass play, there's pressure on Mac Jones, and he has to get rid of the ball. There's zero downfield passing game, at least since the first practice. Uh, they, they have had 11 practices total since the first practice. There's been no downfield passing game. Everything is in the flat, check down, uh, quick two-step slant. Uh, you know, that's, that's where they've been um, to this point. I've never seen anything like this. Is just not, this is just not an offense like, you know, hey, we have some new parts, maybe a new coach. We're working out some kinks. They literally can't do anything right at this point. I mean, they, they, it was so bad that for the 11th practice, they completely dialed it back. Hmm. Um, went about three-quarter speed. There wasn't much of a pass rush, and they started to have basically about probably half their plays were okay, somewhat successful, and that was a huge step forward to this group, but it still it wasn't all that competitive, so it wasn't game speed, and, and you have to wonder what we're going to see tomorrow night against the Giants. Greg, it's interesting. Like the, the decision for Belichick to not name an OC is, I think the quote was, I don't like titles, but that's fine, but you can still have a designated play caller. Why, why are we at this point with them? Uh, it's a great question. It's a million-dollar question. Of course, you know, Belichick is not going to answer that question. Um, you know, I think it's a combination of things. Um, you know, I think that um, Josh McDaniels leaving, um, Bill was sort of forced with, okay, well, do we continue to stay the course with what we've done for 20-plus years, um, you know, going from Charlie Weiss to Josh McDaniels to Bill O'Brien back to Josh McDaniels? where they don't – the problem is they didn't have an heir apparent. Um, that's, this has been a big problem for this team the last four or five years where, you know, whether it's Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, you can sort of go down the list. The, the team that used to ha- always leave themselves options left themselves with no options and, and with so many different things um, the last three or four years, including offensive coordinator. They did it, you know, when, when Charlie Weiss left, Josh McDaniels was ready. When Josh McDaniels left, Billy O'Brien was ready. And now they didn't have anybody. I mean, Nick Cayley, the tight ends coach, would have been uh, the guy that you would think. He's been here the longest. Um, but they decided not to go that avenue. And I think that Bill looked at it and said, well, now's the time to go in a different direction. Maybe, you know, Matt Patricia and Joe Judge can learn the Shanahan sort of offense and we can institute that here, which will make it make things easier for the coaches, but also the players who we've had difficulties with assimilating, whether it's rookies or veteran receivers or things like that. You know, maybe maybe let's do a hard reset. Uh, But there are a lot of problems with that, including probably first and foremost is to install a system like that that's based on precision and rhythm and timing, you kind of need to know how to do it. You kind of have to be in the system for 10-plus years. And in this case, nobody on the staff has any sort of experience Mm. installing this type of offense and it's showing on the field. 
We're talking to Greg Bedard, founder and editorial director for BostonSportsJournal.com, about all the concerns about the Patriots' offense so far in camp. And, you know, when it first came out that Belichick wasn't going to name coordinators, people walked us back to the 14-2 and season, the last time he didn't name coordinators on offense and defense, back in 2010. The difference here, then, is the personnel. So do you think we're focusing too much on a lack of titles and not on the people who would be holding those titles? Yeah, I, I think the I think the titles title sort of discussion has just it's always been ridiculous. It's been ridiculous on both sides. I mean, you know, back in twenty ten, um I assume that was, you know, Bill O'Brien, but you know, Bill withholds titles. That's what he does. I mean, the guys do the I mean when, when Josh McDaniels succeeded Charlie Weiss, he didn't have any titles, but he was the guy. He yeah. coached the quarterbacks, he called the offense. When it was Billy O'Brien's turn you know, he coached the quarterbacks. He called the offense. When Brian Flores, uh, you know, st- stepped in and was uh, defensive coordinator for Matt Patricia, when Matt Patricia went to Detroit, he, everybody knew he was the defense coordinator. He didn't need a title. Even, you know, Bill wanted him to earn it or, you know, those games that he's played. You know, it's, it's about, you know, the coaches. The, any comparison to previous years is just utterly ridiculous. First and foremost, you had Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tom Brady could coach himself, and even if the changes were on defense, he bought you time. He, he, he bought this team time to do a lot of different things as far as personnel and coaching. That was gone. And, and now, to compare it to you know, other succession plans, we're talking about Joe Judge, a special teams coach for his career um, previously, his only experience was on the offensive side of the ball was as wide receivers coach his final year in New England, and that was, a, that was a disaster to the point where other people were doing his job because he didn't do it well enough. And then, you know, and then Matt Patricia is coaching the offensive line. Okay, he played it in college, was an assistant coach, I don't know, way back when on the offensive line, but it's been a long time, and now he's also your offensive coordinator. I mean, it, it, it didn't make sense when – it looked like it was going in this direction. It makes even less sense now. So, the, Greg, moving forward, I mean, what what is the pressure on Mac Jones in terms of now the responsibility is him, and Tom Brady might have been able to lead this offense on his own, and you have a second-year guy in Mac. I don't think, quite frankly, in my opinion, I don't think there's any pressure on Mac Jones. I mean, because if it goes poorly – it's Belichick, Patricia, and Judge's fault. If it goes well, Mac Jones is going to get all the credit. Belichick will get some of the credit. But, you know, I don't think there's any pressure outside of the fact that, you know, how is he going to be able to play? I mean, so far in camp, he hasn't been able to do anything. He's been, he's been flustered. He has no time to drop back. He's, he's not processing correctly. He sped up. He sped up in the pocket in practice when he can't be hit. Who knows what's going to happen in the games? But you know, look, I, I think that I think that everyone once it becomes apparent if this continues on the way that it continues into the regular season, and I have my doubts. I'm Belichick's not an idiot. If it's not working at some point here, whether it's this week or next week against the Panthers, at some point he's going to realize. All right, let's go back to what everybody knows and what we do well, and I'm sure they're going to do that. But. You know, if they do stay the course in their train wreck going into the season, everyone's going to say, poor Mac Jones, I can't believe they did this to him. And, and everyone will be right to say that. 
It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Chris Budden in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to Greg Bedard. You can follow him at Greg A. Bedard on Twitter. Before we let you go, I I heard some sound from Mac Jones today addressing some of the concerns. What have you seen from the coaches on the field during practice? Are they losing their minds? What have you heard from them in pressers? How much are they trying to paint a picture that it's not so bad? Or are you seeing signs that they are also in panic mode? Uh, Definitely haven't seen any signs that they're in panic mode. I mean, you know, Monday's practice, I mean, I can't tell you, it was it was maybe the worst offensive camp practice I've ever seen in my life. I mean, and you could see it, everybody kind of knew it. I mean, nobody got frustrated, but, you know, the look on Belichick's face, the look on Matt Patricia's face was just like, you know, oh my God, this is, we can't do anything. And then, you know, David Andrews talked to us after practice and, you know, he wasn't putting a happy face on it. All of a sudden on Tuesday, Mac Jones comes out and, you know, is Mr. Positivity. We're not that far away. We need to get 2% better. I mean, to anybody who's been out to practice, just that's just a flat-out lie. I mean, they're not mm. they're 200% away from being a functioning offense, not 2%. And so uh, I have a sense from being around this team that they probably – they didn't practice till 4 o'clock that day. They probably had a lot of meetings. The coaches probably, you know, tried to put a happy face on things, maybe showed some film that said, hey, look, guys, look at this play. This was a really good play, or this play was one block away from being a really good play. We're not that far away, and then all of a sudden Mac comes out and parrots it. I mean, the last time he talked to the media, almost unprompted, he was like, yeah, the idea is kind of for me not to run around and instead throw the ball. I mean, for Mac <laughs> Jones to say that, who has been at Alabama, played for Nick Saban, now here, who never says anything, for him to come out and, and talk like that, that's the real Mac Jones. I think the other day we saw him trying to put a happy face on it. Everybody, I think, is trying to put a happy face on it. We'll see what happens on Thursday night because the lights will be on. Uh, the game will be on NFL Network for everybody to see. Everybody around the, the league is very I, – I hear from other coaches and other front offices. They are, uh, they are enamored with what's going on in Foxborough, and they want to see it for themselves <laughs> on Thursday night. So – uh, hell of a tease, TV for everybody. I was going to say, hell of a tease to get everybody. Please come watch the train wreck you've been waiting decades for. Uh, thanks so much for the yeah, time, Yeah, I mean, I, look, it has been a train wreck, but they're not idiots. They're going to come yeah, out and run Belichick. like three I mean, basic gonna... plays, you know, yeah. hand off a few times, a short pass in the flat. Hey, look, we didn't trip over ourselves. We're not a complete disaster. Well, the so worst part of all this is, I mean, it, is it'll be funny. Regular season starts and Mac Jones is just Tom Brady incarnate and they run the table and win it all and then laugh at all of us. That would be just yep, the way it would man, go with that, Belichick. That's what normally goes on. <laughs> Thanks so much for the time, Greg. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, guys. At Greg A. Bedard is where you can follow him. Founder, editorial director for BostonSportsJournal.com. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive commercial insurance can protect your small business with over 30 coverage options, an easy-to-use mobile app, personalized discounts, and more. Get a quote in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Discounts and coverage selections not available in all states or situations. Coming up, the first episode of Hard Knocks was last night, and we were treated to some Dan Campbell gems. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I couldn't believe it today. I wake up, I'm scrolling through my socials, and I see someone's kid with the chalkboard that says, and in his case, it said last first day of school. Uh, I believe a high schooler headed off, I imagine it, uh, once you head off to college. Maybe it was middle school, I'm not sure. But it was was a kid whose last first day of school was today. And I thought, hold up, it's August 10th. Kids are going to school right now? 
Also, it's Wednesday. Who starts in the middle of a week? And all these things reminded me, I don't have kids. I don't know what's going on. I'm about to take a lengthy vacation as if there is no such thing as time or schedules or school because those are the choices I've made with my life. Chris, you've made other choices. Uh, it's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Chris Budden in for Fitz. You have child Ren. How many do you have? <laughs> I have uh, two children. Okay, uh, children. Six, yeah, children. six-year-old boy, three-year-old girl. <laughs> Here's the deal. First day of school is early in the South. You know why? Because they want to let you out early enough mm. before Memorial Day so you can enjoy any part of summer before it becomes 110 degrees for the oh, next 63 days. So, yeah, so we start tomorrow We're on a Thursday. You just want to get your feet wet. But yeah. more importantly, it is the first day of kindergarten. For Ooh. us here, which means uh, it's the First big boy cafeteria. Yeah, in the big yeah. boy cafeteria. So mm. I'm very interested to see what we come home with. Are we getting the broccoli or the rectangle pizza that's on the menu? <laughs> what about grilled cheese tomato which. soup day? Because that's <laughs> all timer. Or breakfast for lunch day when you used to have those like square stick looking French toast sticks. How about we, we get this app and it says, please download the Flick app. And I was like, oh, heard of this before. Yeah. Same app we have over at the ESPN cafeteria. There you go. Maybe they have an omelet bar just like ESPN. <laughs> oh, so maybe some protein that. balls. I love that omelet bar. Ooh, the protein balls. Absolutely delicious. That reminds me. I want to ask you, with your kids going back to school, What's the thing you like most about your kids going back to school? And what's the thing you'll miss the most with your kids going back to school? Mm, freedom, not fighting, <laughs> no more slamming of doors, being able to get work done without them running into. You know, they've been on the radio every time I'm on here because I can't keep them out of the office. Yeah, my dogs, so, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we've heard your dogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, uh, I mean, I'm sad that it means that. It's the end of summer. Like in my schedule, you do college football, then college basketball, then college baseball, and then you get a month, and then it's the hamster wheel starts over. So that's a little bit of what I'm I'm sad about. But I definitely have the chalkboard ready and a big kindergarten sign outside of our Aww. house. So what are you going to miss the most now that they're gone? Uh, I mean, they're cute half the time. <laughs> they're good. You know what I'm excited for? He's doing Spanish immersion. So Ooh. the entire all day is in Spanish. That's Which awesome. Which is not prepared for, but we'll learn. Do you habla espanol? Uh, un poquito. Okay, but my so husband maybe you'll learn along e with him. Yeah, my husband side's Ecuadorian, so they do. So I, if, maybe if I help out with homework, I'll learn a thing or two. Yeah, there you go. Well, we'll ask you guys as well, at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Chris Button, what's the thing you like most about your kids going back to school? What's the thing you miss the most when your kids go back to school? We'll get some of those answers later. Um, I did not miss last night's Hard Knocks, great transition, <laughs> uh, because I, for one, am completely, I guess, fascinated by Dan Campbell. <laughs> Um, I went on a pretty lengthy rant during the old kneecaps speech about how I was not at all impressed and that's not what wins you football games. I didn't say he would fail. I merely said that everyone who was excited about him as a head coach because of that um, seemed to be looking at the wrong metrics for success. And I wanted to hear, what are you going to do as a football coach? What's your approach? What schemes are you into what are your x's and o's how are you going to be better and different how are you going to make the lions not the lions and talking about you know biting off kneecaps wasn't it for me <laughs> but kevin clark from the ringer came on the show last year and talked about a long form profile he did of dan campbell and had a lot of nice things to say 
really had bought in on a lot of the aspects that Dan Campbell brings to the team. And on Hard Knocks last night, we had the usual, even if you have one ass and three fingers, I'll still beat you up. And we had the, you know, some teams are only going to wade in the water. We're going to pull them into the deep end and drown them. We had the usual isms. But we also saw some of the stuff I do like, Chris, which is his willingness to let people, whether it's players or coaches, be themselves, everything from their personality to their haircuts. And I think that approach is a way better way to get everybody all in. And that's something you could say for the Lions last year. The players were all in and they played hard for him, even though they lost. They do. You When you watch it, you get a sense of they love playing for him or even they love being around him. You get a sense of there's fun had in that building outside of football i uh did not watch i just stayed for the clips of aiden hutchinson <laughs> singing billy jean yeah. because that had been promoted everywhere <laughs> maybe above all was when he had to get up there and tell everyone what his signing bonus was yeah. and he says uh-huh. 23 million and the rest of the room just went absolutely nuts <sighs> uh, i also am a ginormous aiden hutchinson fan i had michigan a couple times last year and in our very first interview he comes up and he's like sorry i'm running late i um I got I I picked up two cats last night. I'm like he just I, he just added two cats to his household. They went unnamed. And okay. I'm like you, like you got enough on your plate. You're just going to adopt yeah. two cats before week 1. There you go. Uh well, I recommend watching I I think it's going to be an interesting season of Hard Knocks. Um I found an old email I got right, right when they named the Lions as the team, and Bovada actually had futures bets you could put on whether the word kneecaps would be said in episode one, whether Dan Campbell would be seen in the weight room lifting weights in episode one. Neither, by the way, if you bet on those. He did do up-downs with his wrist taped, Thank but he count. did not uh, get in the weight room. We also later need to talk about Kelly Olynyk's wedding. Uh, the basketball superstar got married in a beautiful suit with a black snapback backwards cap on. Not for the after party, for the full wedding and all of the gorgeous <laughs> pictures for people. So we also want to know the weird wedding choices either you or your friends have made. The weirdest wedding choices you can share with us. Would love to hear those. One of them involves a video of the wife having sex with the brother-in-law. That's a tease for Whoa. later. Giants getting their preseason opener in tomorrow night. We'll talk about them and what we can expect coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So I've been saying for about a week and a half now, I'll listen to that full podcast with Aaron Rodgers talking about finding unconditional love for himself and doing psychedelics to to find his his true soul and heart. Um, And I haven't yet, but I'm going to put our next guest on the spot real quick before we get to the team he covers. It's Spain and Fitz, by the way. Sarah Spain, Chris Budden in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. But I heard Jordan Renan, our ESPN Giants reporter, filling in on a show as a co-host. And they kept talking about Aaron Rodgers (laughs) and the revelations around his drug use. And I wonder if you could give me the pronunciation of the drug that he said he did. Oh, I think I got this. Ayahuasca. No, you don't. And that's exactly why I asked Darn you. It. Because you have combined <laughs> Hiawatha, which was a... Uh, I did say that. I absolutely yep. <laughs> said Hiawatha at least once or twice. Well, but also, Hiawatha was a uh, Native American leader that we learned about in our youth. And yeah, Ayahuasca, Ayahuasca is the name of the drug. And you made it Hiawasca, which is somehow combining oh, the ayahuasca? two. Just Ayahuasca. I was really enjoying it, though, because you guys said uh, it no the, fewer than 25 times. Well, yeah, you just said I mean, I didn't even know how I didn't even know how it was ingested or whatever at first, <laughs> yeah, to be honest yeah. with you. We had a, we had well, a read up on it. I had, I had zero yeah. idea. 
Yeah, if you if you opened I, your I third eye, I think this is a good thing. My to... <laughs> my naivety on this is a positive. If, um, yeah, the bosses are going to look more, you know, favor more favorably on me. The fact that I'm not an expert on this subject. <laughs> exactly. I agree. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, let's talk about something you are an expert on, which is the Giants. How has Daniel Jones looked so far in camp, and how much does it actually feel like this new front office and, and leadership wants to believe in him? Well, it's been an, I mean, you have to be honest, it's been up and down so far, probably more a little more down than up so for Daniel Jones so far in training camp. Now, what to make of that is the question, right, because – my bold prediction coming into camp was that the defense was going to dominate. Because I've seen new offenses get installed before. I've seen the time it takes. I've seen the sort of mess that it can be. Like, I, I remember Eli Manning when Ben McAdoo came, 2014. Redid his footwork, whole new offense, anything different than he had ever done in his career. Two-time Super Bowl champ, mind you, at that point. And it, that, that summer was a mess. I mean, they looked. He was throwing multiple interceptions a day, basically. The offense was not on the same page. So I kind of expected Jones to struggle a little bit. Now, granted, I, I think I would feel a little better if he was more consistently making plays downfield. We haven't really seen that much this summer. And that's his strength. He throws a good deep ball. So I think that's coming. We're just not at the point where everyone's on the same page enough and he's comfortable enough to be throwing it downfield regularly. But – I expect that to be the case as we move forward here, that they're, we're going to see more of that because we know Brian Dayball, at least, has had success with this offense. Like recently, with a quarterback who has a similar skill set, granted, better. You know, you know if I think if Daniel Jones is like 60 70% of Josh Allen, it would be an overwhelming success. But the bottom line is the Giants are going to be patient and see what he can do this season, right? Because – the way they're looking at it, they know where they're at as a franchise. So they know, okay, we have to, we're going to, if he's not it, we're going to have to get a quarterback. In order to get a quarterback, that involves using significant assets. So if somehow Daniel Jones is the answer and everything around him was really the problem, the, the offensive line, which was bad his whole career, he's never actually played a significant amount of time with a healthy Saquon Barkley ever since he's been a starter. Saquon hasn't been healthy for a, for a consistent period of time since Daniel Jones became the starter, and he, his, his weapons have been, haven't been on the field. So if this, the answer is, okay, he just needs to be put in a better situation, the Giants want to see that. They would love to right. see that, right? So they're open to it. They need to see it, obviously, to believe it. But if it is the case, then, you know, then they don't have to go get a quarterback in the draft or free agency or however they're going to try and find their future franchise quarterback. I mean, in all honesty, if they end up stinking, next year's quarterback class looks pretty stacked as well. So, I mean, it, there is an upside to that. This year's draft class, Absolutely. they had two top ten picks in Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan mm -hmm. Neal. How have they looked so far in camp? Yeah, I think you look at Thibodeau and you say, well, okay, he, this guy is the real deal. Um, I mean, he's been very tough to block. The Giants, in particular, their, their defense, their pass rush, has looked really good this summer. So, I mean, I'm curious to see him do it in games because, uh, you know, we were talking to his outside linebacker, Coach Joe Dan was like, what do you want to see from your guys in, you know, the preseason? And he said, well, there's a difference between getting near the quarterback and there's a difference between being able to take down the quarterback. There's actually like a skill to that, right? Some guys are the guys that always just seem to get in there and they never actually get the sacks. And some guys, 
are just able to take down the quarterback and, and whether you know it's just with their fingertip or whatever, they just have that strength in their hand that they could bring the guy down. So I think we still need to see ultimately what Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be. But the early returns are looking like, okay, the Giants might finally have a high-end pass rusher. Now, it may not take like a, a, a year or two before you know we really see that consistently. It's hard to come in this league and dominate as a rookie. But the Giants haven't had a really high-end pass rusher in about seven years now. And this is the New York Giants, a team that's always been built on defense and pass rush. You know, Lawrence Taylor, uh, Justin Tuck, Michael Strahan, OCU Manura, and – to be honest with you, they've one double-digit sack guy in like the last seven years since Jason Pierre-Paul, and it's Marcus Golden. So they really could use Kayvon Thibodeau to be that guy. And Evan Neal, it's been a little up and down, but uh, you know we've seen this before. Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, took till his second year really to uh, blossom into the player that they thought he was going to be. So I think it's just going to take time with him. He is massive. Everybody says that. Like in a land, in a game of massive guys, he's the biggest of all the massive guys. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Chris Button in for Fitz as we talk to Jordan Renan, ESPN Giants reporter. You can follow him at Jordan Renan. Uh, you know, a lot of times we end up talking about the same stuff because we're not privy to the practices and the local media coverage. Right. Is there something that you think we're not talking about with this Giants team that you're particularly interested in, either for the game uh, or just in general heading into this season? Yeah, I think, I mean, their wide receivers are just such big question marks. I, I think everybody sees the name Kenny Galladay, and they're like, oh, you know, he should be a really good receiver. And there's reasons to be concerned there, in my opinion. Uh, the first year was a struggle. He really hasn't been healthy now for two years. He was out again this spring. And so far this summer, you're looking at him, and you're like, he doesn't look like he's moving great. And you're like, this isn't a wide receiver who's getting paid $18 million, right? He's mm. supposed to be a high-end wide receiver. To me, there's some serious question of whether he can he's going to get back to that point of being a high-end receiver. You know, he was never a big explosion guy. He was always a contested catch guy. But if he didn't have that super explosion and maybe he lost a step from the injuries the last couple of years, that could be just end up being a disastrous signing for the Giants. And then you have Kadarius Toney right next to him, and you always wonder, when's this guy going to be on the field? You know, I mean, when he's on the field, he looks like he could be great. And I think there's a big question of, what can the Giants and what are the Giants going to get out of these guys? I know I hear a lot of times people say, "Oh, you know, Daniel Jones. They have good off. They have really good weapons. They have good offensive players around them." And sometimes I sit back and think to myself, "Do they really? Hmm. Right? You know, like, or are we just looking at names at this point? You know, Sterling Shepard's coming back from an Achilles injury. Kadarius Tony, great talent, first round pick. Can he be on the field? His, first, his, his rookie year was a mess. And then Galladay, I, I just went over that. So. I, I wonder what they really have at wide receiver. Uh, Jordan, as they get ready to play the Patriots tomorrow in preseason game, you have any sense of how much we'll see the ones tomorrow? Yeah, I think you'll see them a decent amount, of either one long drive or maybe like two drives, so pretty much the first quarter. And Brian Dable was pretty adamant about it. Okay, I want to see my guys play. This is a new system, a new regime. You know, they got to get out on the field, and we have to see see what they can do, so – I think we're gonna we're gonna see the Giants starters a decent amount in the preseason. Which, if you look at Saquon Barkley, he hasn't played in the preseason partially because he tore his ACL last year, so he was still rehabbing and not cleared last summer. But uh, I think he's played something like six snaps in his uh, you know preseason career in uh, four years in the NFL. So I, I expect to see a lot more of him in the Giants first team all first teamers this, this summer. 
while exciting for fans who want to get a look at him. Thanks so much for the insight, Jordan. Appreciate it. You got it. Anytime. Have a great show, girls. Jordan Renan with us, ESPN Giants reporter. You can follow him at Jordan Renan. Coming up, we go around the NFL and discuss some other training camp storylines. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. So we do have the Patriots and Giants tomorrow night. Get a look at them in their first preseason game. Also Tennessee, Baltimore. But there are stories from a whole bunch of other NFL camps to get to as well. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Chris Budden in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's start with rehitting what we talked uh, on the top of the show, which is Deshaun Watson, now per the Browns, will be starting in the preseason opener at Jacksonville on Friday. That is, unless the NFL's designee has come out with the updated punishment. And if that is a full season... The expectation is that he will not be playing, will not be practicing. I, I don't know, Chris, if he's officially not allowed to with a full season suspension or if it just doesn't make any sense if he's not going to be playing until September of 2023 to have him out there, especially when you need to look at other guys knowing he's he's not doing anything for you this season. I would bet if that punishment comes down, I would bet you that it's for a full season. I would bet you we would not see Deshaun Watson out there. And based on everything Roger Goodell has said publicly in the NFL's case against him, that sounds like exactly what they hope for. I would agree. I think there's a reason that he came out yesterday in that owner's meeting and used the language that he did using the word predatory to make a statement of, I don't want this guy on the field. Uh, and if he does, uh, to your point, if he's suspended for a year, whether he is or is not allowed to play for a preseason, why would you if you're Kevin Stefanski? You already have to get Jacoby Brissett ready. I, I'm, I'm really wondering if by Monday are we doing a radio show where the topic of Deshaun Watson is not brought up. Yeah, I very much doubt that. Uh, <laughs> either going to be what we watched or the punishment handed down. Uh, speaking of someone who tends to make a lot of headlines, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we've moved on a bit from the ayahuasca and the unconditional self-love to the latest comments, which have to do with the preseason. Here's what he said about thinking just a snap or two, ain't it? I don't see any benefit to it. I definitely don't see any benefit to playing one series. You know, if we're going to play, we should play. Yeah, play quarter, a couple series, two or three series. If we're going to just suiting up for four plays, for me, is a waste. And I'm not saying this to send a message to Matt. I've already told Matt the same thing. I'm not sure if y'all could hear that. That was super low, but he basically said, I don't see a benefit in playing a couple snaps. If we're going to play, play a whole quarter. Otherwise, uh, I, I don't see uh, getting much out of it. And Matt Castle, former Patriots quarterback, was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max and uh, compared Rodgers' take to that of another well-known quarterback. Brady was exactly the same that he was when we were going into a regular season game. That was the, always the fascinating part about Tom Brady, is he never let on, he never and complained about um, just having to play in these preseason games because Bill, Bill played everybody, and everybody understood, look, you're going to get a little bit of time here. And this is when we had four preseason games. The only game that he didn't play in, Tom, was the fourth preseason game, but he treated it the same way, and his approach was the same way. Like, you couldn't tell the difference from a preseason game to a regular season game with how he approached it and his way in which he led and his pregame routine and all that stuff that went along with it. He was ready to go. Chris makes for a good uh, headline. Matt Castle says Brady never, you know, bead and complained. 
but I'm okay with not comparing the two here. I think everybody's going to have a different take on just how useful the preseason is, and that goes for players and coaches. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers said flat out it's useless. He just said you're not going to get enough of a rhythm or time to see anything for it to be worth it unless you give it a little bit more of a go. Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers becomes an easy target sometimes, and I don't know if what he said is necessarily complaining. It's just this is I'd rather, if I'm going to play, I'd rather play two or three drives, maybe a quarter rather than just one because what's the point? It's hard to get into a rhythm. But also, why are you telling the media this? Like, just go <laughs> have a conversation with your head coach and let it be. Yeah, fair enough. And he said he did at the end. He said, this isn't me being passive aggressive. I already told them how I feel. I just also want to tell you. Yes. Uh, perhaps he was asked. We tend to do that around here in these media parks. True. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Chris Budden in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. Awkward alert. The Dolphins and Bucks having a joint practice today. Tom Brady practicing against the Dolphins who tampered, quote unquote, with him. <laughs> who he fully, as a grown adult, met with the coach of uh, uh, on a boat, near a boat, at a boat, <laughs> to talk about it. Who he retired from the current team he was on with a plan to go to and be part of ownership and play for. Didn't work out. He's back with the Bucks, and now they're practicing against each other, which then forces Tua for the millionth time to address that his team was trying to get Tom Brady uh, even... Before and after getting him, uh, this is just like made for content, Chris, this matchup. Uh, first of all, I love it. And I think that we should have more of these of like inner team practices and Tua sitting over there being like, well, that guy wants to come here and he's a lot better than me. <laughs> and when the media asks us what we're talking about, I'm going to tell them that we talked about golf. Yeah. Like, thank God. Thank yeah, God it didn't no, work didn't. out for him. I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> you didn't talk about golf. Oh, like we that's what you want to ask Tom Brady about you get to spend time with Tom Brady and you talk about like the par three over there on sawgrass get out of here I think he did talk about other stuff and just said he would keep that between them mm. he was trying to ask Brady for some tips some insight as obviously the goat uh, but didn't want to share any of it um, I do love the joint practices when there's some drama um, I would love for instance, for the Lions and Rams to get together and have some golf at Stafford. Uh, you know, there's, there's a bunch of teams yeah. that I could see making for some good and interesting content. Put some cameras uh, they, out there. That's right. I see, like uh, Maybe even the Chiefs and the Dolphins. See, uh, see how Patrick Mahomes feels about Tyreek after some of the stuff he said on his <laughs> podcast. Uh, we're doing some NFL training camp stories at Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Chris Budden. Uh, the Chicago Bears yesterday had their family fest. I attended and watched practice at Soldier Field. And right before practice, Roquan Smith announced publicly that he wanted to be traded. Uh, most people thought that the intention there was to use the media to get some publicity around his contract demands. He is working without an agent. And so sort of a high profile way to force the hand of ownership in the front office. Well, after that happened yesterday, today the Bears have removed Roquan Smith from the pup list and announced that he is able and healthy enough to practice, even though he isn't for them. Courtney Cronin, often on this show, our Chicago Bears beat reporter, tweeted, if Smith decides to hold in, which was the expectation at the start of training camp before he was put on pup with an undisclosed injury, the Bears can fine him for not practicing. So it was almost as if the Bears were doing him a solid, putting him on the pup list while they addressed this. Now that he's off, 
not only can they fine him for not practicing after going public with his demands, but they also are able to engage honestly in trade talks by acknowledging that he is not injured. Either that or it's the complete opposite, and maybe they are closer to a deal after yesterday, and so they took him off the pup list because it was undisclosed and didn't seem like he has injured anything. So it's either we are very far away from a deal or maybe one is looming closely. Well, Chris, you've really broken it down for us, and now it's inevitable <laughs> what will happen. Either they're very far away or they're very close. You heard it here first. Uh, I'm equally as, as uh, out on this one because uh, what we've heard is – Certainly, there are people who consider him an all-pro player. There are those who look at the numbers and say he's a guy who can make dramatic plays but also misses a lot. And it's hard to tell how the front office feels about him, particularly a team like the Bears that is very clearly going to be bad. Do you want to spend on him now or do you want to wait and spend when you think that you actually have a chance uh, to make good for the season? Uh, unfortunately for Bears fans, all the players that are exciting and good are either traded away or maybe not uh, the right window for them. Uh, coming up, how will the KD Nets drama resolve itself? We'll talk about it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's a prerogative. Uh, we have a lot of people with their prerogatives in their wedding choices that are coming up later. We are getting some <laughs> extremely weird ones. Uh, that we are going to share with you coming up. But right now we're going to get into some basketball talk. We mentioned earlier some developments that we've covered all week long as the Nets continue to battle within Kevin Durant versus Joe Sy and others. Joining us now, Brooklyn Nets beat writer for The Athletic, Alex Schiffer. Alex, what's the latest? Are you surprised we haven't seen Kevin Durant respond to the low-hanging fruit of that Joe Sy tweet? It's a good question. Uh, you know, of all the tweets he's had lately about people's <laughs> legacy and emptying the dishwasher, I, I guess uh, I guess he's, as you said, gone for more of the low-hanging fruit than the business-related ones. So, not really, but uh, he probably would have had an epic response had he did reply. Has there been a conversation at all between Katie, Sean Marks, Steve Nash? Like the, the way that this has all gone down, and we haven't heard anything from Marks and Nash, is that they're just like – floating on some chopping block never to be heard from it's it, the whole thing's very strange have you heard from them no you know steve nash right now i'm very jealous is in uh paris on vacation it looks like so he he has the right idea <laughs> uh and sean marks you know i, I don't think we're going to hear from either of them until media day which is supposed to be the last week of september and it, it's kind of why i applaud joe seifert getting that tweet out pretty quickly after the report just because if he didn't there'd probably be a pretty long period of speculation where people are wondering like they haven't done they even said anything are they actually entertaining this so i, I think him getting out in front of him saying like no we're not doing this given that they're probably not going to address the media formally for another month wasn't actually the worst idea you know i was trying to figure out that day i, I think i mostly agreed with the fact that joe side needed to make a statement that he still runs the team that there is an owner and a front office that are still in charge there after some of the comments we've heard both from KD and Kyrie Irving about, you know, running the team and being part of management and not needing a coach and all of that. But there are also certain players that you are more careful around and that you defer to more than others. And KD is certainly one of them. How big of a swing is it for Joe Sy to basically say, hey, you're not in charge here and I'm going to publicly let everyone know that? You know, the, he, Kevin Durant, it's funny with the whole fire the GM or uh, and the coaching staff to me because what's funny about it is if you look at the, the coaching staff 
last year, almost every assistant, aside from Jacques Vaughn, had a tie to Kevin Durant. You know, he's already had, say, in the coaching staff and on the roster. I mean, Brian Keefe was with him for almost a decade in Oklahoma City. Um, Roy Ivey, who Kevin Durant is the godfather of his son, one of his best friends from his playing days, they plucked from the Knicks in a player development role. And, you know, he had a lot of say in the roster from Michael Beasley signing in the bubble to only never play to Mike James as a backup point guard. So, I, you know, one of the reasons I think it, it obviously made sense to quash it down was because we've kind of seen Kevin Durant as the GM and the coach in different ways the past few years. And look at where it's got him. Mm-hmm. Do you have a sense of how this thing ends? Like, where are you leaning? You know, Chris, as uh, my fellow Mizzou Tiger, of all the things we learned in J school, uh, they did not teach you how to cover things as ridiculous as this, I feel like. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I feel like at some point he'll get traded. But I, if you're the Nets, I would argue that given the way this has gone, you have to get the return for him right. You can't trade him for 60, 70 cents on the dollar because – of the lack of draft equity, given the, I mean, a lot of fans would tell you they've raised season ticket prices for next year, despite all this craziness. So I, I think it ends with a trade and a pretty good return, given how good Sean Marks has proven to be at his job. I just don't think there's any telling who the team is and when it happens. And, and I would argue, I, I'd have to think that there's a couple of GMs in the league right now who are thinking like, do I really want to, drain my roster and draft capital to put up with this potentially a year from now. I mean, so I I think how this alters the Kevin Durant sweepstakes from teams, maybe second guessing if it's worth it, especially a team like the Celtics, where I would argue they don't need him to potentially win the whole thing next year. If they just run it back, I I think that's where it's going to be interesting to see how this ends. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Chris Budden in for Fitz on ESPN Radio. We're talking to Alex Schiffer, Brooklyn Nets beat writer for The Athletic. You can follow him at Alex underscore Schiffer. Why do you think Kevin Durant took the approach of pointing the finger at Nash and Marks? Do you think he actually believes that those are the people responsible for the future of the team being in question? Do you think he just needed somebody to blame and ultimatum to offer up to make clear he wants to leave? Why do you think that that's where he went? Yeah, I think he did it to kind of reinvigorate the trade talks around him, honestly, even though, like I just said, it could backfire a bit. I mean, you know, there's been, you ask people around the NBA, the Nets could probably use a third or fourth team to help them facilitate this. And people aren't exactly raising their hands to do so. And, you know, they've been very steadfast and trying to get as much as they possibly can. It seems to me like he did this to really try and re-energize the trade market around him, remind everybody, like, hey, I'm still out here, I want to go. And, and you know, also, if you've been following the net social media lately, it, it seems like there's been a reconciliation with Kyrie Irving and the organization. I expect him to be in training camp and on the roster for opening night. And I, I think that some of that has been, you know, this Kevin Durant changes mind, they run it back, and they're this team that could potentially win the whole thing. I think that some of this kind of got rid of the idea of him wanting to return. It's like, no, I want out. In case you forgot, please pick up the phone again and make another offer. And then Kyrie Irving gets pulled into this, and then his agent slash stepmom has to say that he doesn't hate Sean Marks and Steve Nash. So where are we in the current Kyrie Irving situation? Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny. Kyrie Irving went from a few years ago saying we don't need a coach to now uh, – 
throwing flowers at everybody, I guess. Um, like, a, I, I think – I don't think every the dust is fully settled from the way it uh, it went with his contract extension. I mean, look, I, I speak selfishly here. If I had the chance to make uh, a $250 million contract and it got taken away from me, even if I might have done some things myself, it would still upset me. Um, and I, I think that while things have, have – cleared up a bit from there i don't think that's all over and it, it wouldn't stun me if Kyrie's a laker a year from now or even i've kind of wondered depending upon when a kd trade goes down does Kyrie Irving become a, a hot rental commodity for a team that might be a piece away at the deadline for uh going for a championship again given that he's in the last year of his deal so i i don't think the problems with Kyrie are, are there as much with sean and steve although there could be something except in the contract extension but it's crazy to me how a few months ago Kyrie went from being the bad guy with the contract uh, to now it's, it's role reversal and Kyrie's kind of the angel right now. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I think I think yeah. KD is currently I'm the problem metaphor, child. Sarah. Yeah, he's he is KD right is now. extremely valuable. Is on a four-year deal and is the centerpiece that changes your team. Kyrie Irving is a good player who is completely unpredictable and inconsistent and can't be counted on with consistency. So he just seems less bad because he's not blowing up your team quite the same way Kevin Durant is threatening to. I wouldn't say that few, uh, very many are actually seeing him as an angel in this situation. We're talking to Alex Schiffer, yeah. Brooklyn Nets beat writer for The Athletic. We've kind of heard all along that whatever happens to Kyrie will be after whatever happens to Durant because the team will need to make a decision based on what they get back and lose for Durant. Um, you know, before they make that decision around Kyrie because there also isn't much of a market for him, right? They kind of know who they're dealing with, so they can wait on it. Do you think that that's still the case? And especially if Kevin Durant doesn't go anywhere and they play a game of chicken where they say, hey, you either sit out or you play here, do you then see Kyrie Irving staying? Yeah, I'm still upset that I, I screwed up that uh, that metaphor with the angel. I can't think of anything better. But, yeah, I, I still think that it, it stands with um, – The lesser of two evils, I believe, yeah. is what we're going for They're both in the principal's biggest... office. One started a food fight, exactly. the other one has been late. Both are a problem, child. Yeah, it's a difference between suspension <laughs> um, and detention, I think. Yeah, exactly. So I, I still think that's the way it stands. I, I think it will be interesting just – Again, with the Kevin Durant situation, I mean, he does not like not playing. You know, there was talk when he got hurt in the finals that he couldn't stand being on the bench just because his feet were on the hardwood and, and he still he couldn't get out, go out there and play. I, I don't see anything changing on the Kyrie front just because I think the Nets have been pretty steadfast in the day if they were to deal with the Lakers. I mean, they do not want Russell Westbrook. They want a first-round pick. And, and, again, it seems like they've both of the Kevin and Kyrie situation have just had a hard time getting other teams interested and, I mean, you look at teams with cap space, Indiana doesn't want it to participate, it seems like, and take Russell Westbrook on. Neither does, um, neither does San Antonio. And I mean, because the Nets are in the repeater tax, it would be an additional $50 million to take Russell Westbrook back. So I, I feel like right now the plan with Kyrie is to play him, assuming he shows up, and see where it goes and see how he is with his teammates and really go from there with him. And then... Again, Kevin will see. I, the other thing I wonder about with Kevin, talk about the holdout option, does he play or not? We keep talking about the return for him. He's been hurt a lot the last two years. Do you go, if, you, if you're the Nets, do you sideline him the way you did Kyrie and just say you're not playing at all if you don't want to rescind the offer, the, the request? Because if he gets hurt, all of a sudden his value decreases. I, I really wonder what they do with him just because, to me, it's a catch-22. You need people in the stands. Kevin Durant puts people in the stands. But if you put him out there and something happens, all of a sudden the, the return you want goes down the drain. So 
uh, how that gets handled and who makes the decisions on that is a Kevin's call. Do the Nets make one before he can? That to me is going to be really fascinating to follow. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the saga continues. <laughs> the drama with the Nets. Uh, content content providers more so than a basketball team is what Marlissa Louis Jacques called them. Thanks so much for the insight, Alex. Appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. No problem. At Alex underscore Schiffer is where you can follow him. Brooklyn Nets beat writer for The Athletic. Coming up, we got some questions we asked you, and boy, did you supply some answers. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. People have made some choices at their weddings. We are hearing about a whole bunch of them. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Chris Budden in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. At Sarah Spain, at Chris Budden is where you can follow us. At Spain and Fitz is where we've been asking, and at Sarah Spain, where we've been asking the questions of you. And we were talking about Kelly Olynyk from, from the Pistons wearing a snapback cap for his wedding. Looked nice in the tux, had a black snapback, and it actually, he pulled it off. It looked okay. It didn't look ridiculous. It didn't look, um, you know, unkempt, but it's still a choice to not just at your post, post-wedding post reception. My husband and I rocked uh, fake diamond chains that said bride and groom, and he had a hat, and we had glasses, and we passed out to everyone, like, sunglasses with uh, Yo! MTV Raps trading cards and stuff because we had this awesome hip-hop and rap cover band as our wedding band and oh, we needed to cool. change the vibe so we yeah. had them like bust through the doors of the venue uh and be like blah 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 stop talking let's party and then just go into poison uh by bell bib devote so there was a vibe there but it was like we had a normal traditional wedding and then things got wild after that this particular look for Kelly Olynyk is in every single photo. The <laughs> photos that they sold to People Magazine, uh, the first mm-hmm. kiss, the vows, everything. He's wearing a backwards snapback hat. So we asked for some of the bold decisions you have made or you've seen friends make at weddings. And let's just run through a couple of these. Uh, John Jensa said wrestling belts for the groom and groomsmen. Okay. A uh, bunch of Star Wars content. Someone attended a wedding where the groom had on a Darth Vader helmet and he and the best man had a lightsaber duel. Mm. Somebody else's husband's cousin played Darth Vader's death march as her processional in a Catholic church. No idea how they allowed it. I thought it was great. Uh, I do sort of like the idea of like, here comes the bride uh, is gone and instead it's the Darth Vader march. Uh, my friend, oh. go ahead. There's one that's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle theme. I yeah. appreciate a wedding. Wait, really the quick. Yeah, really quick, though. The, my friend, as far as the uh, the Catholic Church goes, at an extremely Catholic ceremony that was like one of those two-hour ones, he was able to walk down the aisle to string quartet versions of his two karaoke songs that he always does and crushes. <laughs> which is Meatloaf, I Would Do Anything for Love, oh, But I Won't solid. Do That, followed by Enrique Iglesias' Hero. <laughs> so he's literally walking down the aisle to a string version of, and I, like everybody who knows him and knew that was like, this is the, like, what a great shout out, but managed That's to still awesome. do it in the Catholic Church. Uh, yeah, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle one is bold. The, the, the groomsmen came down wearing masks from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the bridesmaids wore dresses to, <laughs> to match the mask color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure, I, of course. I, I, yeah. Why wouldn't that be an important part of your wedding? My why husband wouldn't... was chewing gum at the altar while giving his vows, oh, and I about, oh. gave, I about like held out my hand like he was a five-year-old <laughs> that gave me the gum, and I just <sighs> let it ride to the end. Uh, DeSorb said, I have basically lived my whole life with a mullet, which is always a bold wedding accessory. Very true. Um, 
We got a DJ who chimed in, said he's played over 1,500 weddings and he's seen everything. Uh, a steampunk wedding, uh, also a Grateful Dead theme, and he sent a pic of the groom in a tie-dye shirt and mesh shorts uh, and said everyone was high. And it was a, it was, it was, it's a choice, right? Um, at the Badger Maniac wrote on the bottom of shoes using tape, bad on one foot and jurors on the oh, other. Hold so on, that when they, a... they knelt so... at the aisle, you could read badgers. So I was in a wedding where this happened, and on the groom's feet, it said, help me. No. See, yeah, that's I was not... a Catholic. Yeah. No, I wouldn't find that funny <laughs> if I was the wife. Like, <laughs> that whole, yeah, that whole thing. Uh, of like, you know, the groom wearing the t-shirt that says game over. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. come on. Like, it's a little funny to, 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 to do the ribbing beforehand, but during the wedding, absolutely not. My husband would not live to see the day if he did that. Uh, I don't think this guy knew. I think it was the groomsman that put oh, it on there. Oh, my yeah. God. That's even worse. And then worse. he looked down and was like, oh, my God. Like, how do I get out of this oh moment? Oh, my God. Yeah, the groomsman can't be trusted. My mom... No. Uh, uh, the groomsmen, the best man and groomsmen uh, snuck in. It was back in the day when you would literally leave for your honeymoon, like from the wedding. And they took all of her underwear out of their suitcase. They thought that was hilarious <laughs> that she would go on her honeymoon without any underwear. Ha ha. I had a groomsman um, not show up. Oh, for your wedding? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, didn't have enough gas money to get there the day of. And just <laughs> did. Did just, he call? Uh, I think there was a text. Holy, <laughs> that is a story for another show, a yeah. full show. Yeah. Uh, I have a friend who was getting married for a second time, had a bit of a stag's night, which is the night before the wedding bachelor party, overdid it and went to the sauna at the country club he was getting married at to sweat it out, walked out of it, fainted into the bushes and his Soon to be wife's husband is the one, father is the one who found him in the bushes, <gasps> had to get him all cleaned up and ready for the, for the wedding. Uh, so, I've also been at one mm. in Mexico where the wedding was delayed two hours because the bride was getting a massage before the wedding and fell asleep. And apparently like the massage therapist didn't realize that she was getting ready for a wedding and felt bad waking her up. No, you can't do that ever. <laughs> and so regardless of if it's a wedding, people have like things to do after their <laughs> yeah. massages. They didn't, they didn't call, cut off the whole day for it. Come but on. We didn't know. We were like, where's oh the bride? God. She oh, ran. No. Oh no. Um, this is a good one. This is a choice. At Cargo Helmet says, my sister and his wife had a beachside reception and they decided to end it by paddle boarding away from the reception after a full night of drinking. Well, it says paddle boating. So either paddle boating or paddle boarding. They immediately fell in the water and ruined her dress. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hilarious. I mean, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if you uh, if you plan on a nice romantic, you know, paddling away or, or whatever and you fell in, that's no good. Um, This one is less of a choice than the choices made by the priest, but uh, someone was a best man at a mixed religion wedding and the bride's family chose a Catholic church so that their priest could officiate. The priest got drunk watching Notre Dame football and when he presided, he was so offensive to the Protestant half that he caused a full-out fist fight and a postponement of the wedding. Mm. That's no good. There was one involving puppets. 
There's one that my friend uh, played as the bandit and involved uh, a lot of drugs handed out to all the guests, which is a bold <laughs> choice. By the way, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Get renter's insurance to protect the things that make your place a home, including coverage for theft or damage. Visit Progressive.com. I have saved the best for last, which, of course, is the story about the groom who found out that his soon-to-be wife was having an affair with her brother-in-law, so he played a video of them having sex during the reception. Now, the reception would entail getting married before that, which means he married her and then showed a video of her sleeping with her pregnant sister-in-law's husband in front of everyone. And then they got annulled. I would guess that. Uh, I would guess he would have pretty good evidence to prove. <laughs> we'll find out because both that bride and groom and the brother-in-law are going to be on Freddie and Fitzsimmons to tell it all coming up next. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.